0: Welcome to the Arena Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. So on the video, this is the start of our summer series and uh, there's the backdrop that you'll be seeing over the next few weeks as you come to Arena Church. Uh, We plan as a ministry team and we're conscious that it's the school holidays just started in Derbyshire and Nottinghamshire are uh, uh, sort of breaking up next week as well. So it's that time of the year where inevitably there's numbers of to-ins and fro-ins in the life of the church as people take the opportunity perhaps uh, to be away, to see family, uh, to go to the coast, whatever it may be. But we want to be very intentional about the church because um, we don't want to go to sleep, we don't want to be off our guard uh, and every time we open the doors we're, we're on mission, we have an expectation Uh, that new people will come, uh, that people perhaps that used to come will come back. And just to say that if you're here for the first time this morning, if you're a visitor, then we give you a very, very warm welcome and want God to bless you. So that will be the theme during this time. And uh, again, as Christian uh, uh, said, uh, there'll be uh, numbers of people that are speaking and ministering. They're all ready. They're all ready to go. Uh, Some will tag off each other. So there'll be like two 15-minute messages And uh, they're all going to speak from the Psalms. I know it's going to speak to us because this is how it's going to work. I I think that people that are going to be ministering aren't just going to be ministering about their favourite Psalm. But they're going to be ministering from a Psalm that has really ministered to them in a particular situation. And here's the genius of ministry. This is not a talk this morning. It's not a lecture. It's not a school classroom. This is the Word of God. And here's how the Word of God works. The Word of God gets in the person that's speaking it and then comes out of the person to ministry. It's what we call, in terms of ministry, impartation. The Bible is not somebody talking about God. The Bible is somebody talking about God that confronts us with God. And that's why people change. That's why people respond. That's why sometimes people feel challenged. Why people feel emotional. Because the Word of God is coming out of us And again and again in the Scriptures, when there's a release of the Word, it creates life. So it's my joy this morning just to be kicking off the series. And, uh, you know, just two things to say before we start. Number one, it's not coming home. And number two, it's hot. So, you know, um, it was never coming home, was it? We got carried away a bit, but, but, but... And so I just trust that you'll stay with me. There's no, nobody going to get hotter than me over the next 30 minutes, you know. So, so just try and, and stay with it. And uh, I know that uh, by God's grace, he'll seek to touch our hearts. The Psalms. I'm going to give a few introductory comments regarding the Psalms. And then I'm going to take you to a Psalm uh, that is dear to me. And I trust that it will just encourage you in the time that we have so the Psalms are in what we call the Old Testament of the Bible and they come in a section known as poetry and wisdom and sometimes when you're reading the Bible you need to just understand the genre of of, of, of the particular book so the prophets towards the end of the of the Bible they're, they're often forth and foretelling um, the beginning of the Bible is setting foundations and here in the middle of the Old Testament uh, sometimes the the uh, the uh, The language, it it sort of flows. It's very descriptive. It's trying to put into words people's experience of God. And, of course, that's not always easy. The Psalms were written with the intention of being sung. And whether you realise it or not, many times there's a, a line from a Psalm that's woven into a song as we sing praise to the Lord here at Arena Church. And, of course, many of them were written by King David, not only when he was king, but also before he became king, but not all of them. Uh, So there was Asaph. The psalm I'm going to refer to this morning uh, was written by the sons of Korah. And I'll just explain who they were in a moment or two. And so we go on. And some of the psalms were written anonymously. And the psalms capture a whole range of human emotion, experience and circumstance. And the beauty is that Almost all of the Psalms were written in real life experiences. And I just encourage you sometimes, those of you that um, uh, uh, particularly read off the printed page of the Bible, it'll have a little comment over the top sometime. So Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. It's a great Psalm, Josh leaves this morning. But it was, when, it was when David was on the run uh, and he was in enemy territory. In fact, he had to pretend to be a madman to escape death. But he's blessing the Lord. So, you just got to see the context at times and realize just how amazing praise always prevails despite the circumstance, as we've been so well led in this morning. And the Psalms ministers. So, sometimes when we think of the Psalms, we think Psalm 23. I'm sure somebody's going to minister on Psalm 23. It's going to be awesome. The Lord is my shepherd. And sometimes we think of praising every, everything that I breath, praise the Lord. And we, we think about singing and dancing and we just. But you need to read all the Psalms. He you realise the Psalms are full of angst and despair and complaint and questions. God, where are you? It's in the Psalms. Why don't you listen to me? It's in the Psalms. The Psalms take us through crisis and victory through blessing and breakthrough. Psalm 69 verse 1, just an illustration, says, Save me, O Lord, for the waters are coming up to my neck. Anybody been there? Not literally, but... When I read that, it takes me to when i just left school. I was 16. I went on holiday with some of my friends from the youth group. I mean, our youth leader was amazing. He even took us on holiday with him. (laughs) We went to Cornwall. And I've always loved sport, but never been a good swimmer. I jumped on one of those boards. I'm flying out there. And all of a sudden, I realised I was in trouble. And I was doing this. Yeah, great. Oh, I fell. Great. No, I'm up to it in my neck. I'm drowning. Literally, I was. Anyway, <clears throat> a couple of them came across, dragged me onto the beach, and the, the lifeguards coming down and so say, too late, mate. We're all right. I've gone there again nearly 45 years ago, more. But I was up to my neck in it. And circumstance it's a metaphor. Maybe a circumstance this morning. Maybe with your finances, you're up to your neck. Maybe with your kids, you're up to your neck. And this is the Psalms. Eugene Peterson put it this way, God saved me. I'm in it over my head. So it's gone over his neck, he's riding. And here's the truth, God can minister into those situations. And I'll give you a little word to help you in that in a moment. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm. It's got 176 verses. And nobody reads it because Psalm 118 ain't short and Psalm 120's short so we just skip Psalm 119 but I encourage you to read it um, because uh, 22 8 I think is 176 so you can spend 22 days because it's all nicely into eight verse chapters and it's an amazing psalm about the word of God how can a young man keep his way pure by living according to you and so it goes on and on and on so here's a little challenge for you during the summer in the psalms if you've never read Psalm 119 how about setting a plan over these next few weeks I'm not going to put you on homework, but I'd love somebody to come up to me after eight weeks and say, you know what, I did that. I read Psalm 119. And at Christian's expense, you can have an ice cream. Okay. <laughs> Psalm 118, verse 8 is the middle verse of the whole of the Bible. And of course, the Psalms can be used privately and publicly. The psalm says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. Praise him for the Lord is good. And so we come to my psalm this morning, which is Psalm 42. And uh, it's just 11 verses. And if you've got a Bible, you may want to read it off your screen or off your paper version. But if not, uh, Chris is going to put it up for me and I'm just going to read it through. Psalm 100. Psalm 42, says, As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul longs or pants for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. There's some angst. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty. One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive song. Why, my soul, are you cast downcast? Why so disturbed within? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember from the land of the Jordan, the heights of the Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why, so disturbed within? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my god psalm 42 as i say it's a non-davidic psalm it was written by the sons of korah who were they well commentators tell us that the sons of korah were sort of a musical uh, minstrel traveling band that would go around singing the praises of god it's thought that they uh, uh, were descendants of the levi tribe the, the priestly tribe of levi as we read about in the books of the, the law and it's unclear whether they are speaking about a personal experience or on behalf of somebody else but whatever the reality is very impacting and the person represented here on three occasions speaks about being downcast words associated that would be despondent defeated melancholic low in spirit lacking vitality, vitality just a word of caution here Uh, we we become increasingly uh, aware and uh, in terms of Christian ministry and Christian leadership increasingly aware of uh, mental health issues that that, uh, are across our nation and nations uh, in these days and uh, we want to increasingly navigate that journey with sensitivity with compassion and with help knowing that God's always the ultimate answer but you may be here this morning and you, you may be a person that needs or is in professional help and we don't want to push back on that and we pray that God will bless you the application this morning is a little wider if I can say it very carefully this morning I'm not just talking to somebody that's depressed clinically or in counseling or whatever I'm talking to people that go through seasons of being downcast where your vitality is stripped from you, where you feel melancholic for whatever reason, where you feel there's no way out of that circumstance, where you're up to it with your neck, and somehow you wonder where God is. So Psalm 42 speaks about a prisoner that's being held hostage. It may be someone that had been taken by the northern kingdoms, and whatever, they'd be hundreds of miles north of their home city and in those days that that could have been the end of the earth and also they were away from the house of god in verse four it says these words that it says how can i how i used to go to the house of god now i understand that there'll be people here very quick this morning saying well the house of god's anywhere and in the new testament covenant that is absolutely true you are the house you are the temple of the holy spirit you take the house into every context that you are in but in the old testament covenant the house the place of worship was very very significant so under moses regime the tabernacle a portable meeting place went with the people wherever they went when the cloud moved they moved when david was when david came to be the king of of Israel, the first thing he did was to re-establish a place of worship called the Tabernacle of David, where the people came to worship the Lord. And then of course, um, he was restricted, but he empowered his son Solomon to build an amazing temple house to God. And so it goes on. That's why when the Babylonian armies came down and swept the people away and ransacked the temple. It was such an incredible indictment upon where the people were in their relationship with God. We go later into the Minor Prophets, that little book called Haggai. For 70 years, nothing had happened. And then he begins to stir people. And and they had a go at laying some foundations, got discouraged. And again, for 13 years, nothing happened. And, And Haggai comes along with a mighty word from God that said this, thus says the Lord. I am with you. That's all he got, and the whole thing began to change. And whilst the temple materially had no comparison to the one of Solomon, the prophetic word was that the glory of the latter house would be greater than the glory of the former. I believe that's a prophetic word, friends, that always encourages us that the best days of the church is still in front of us. The best churches are still to be planted. The best churches in our nation are still to be formed. The best leaders are still to emerge because the glory of the latter house is always going to be better than the former. That's why we need to continue to sow into, with passion into the emerging generations because they're going to be better than me. They're going to be greater than me. They're going to be more influential than me and more anointed for me because God is not giving up on his people. He's going to bring about his purposes in these days for his glory and for his praise. So he wasn't able to go to the place. And it pained him hugely. The results were clear. He longed for the presence of God. As the deer pants for the water. So my soul longs for you. He longed to be where he used to be. He longed to be in that place of deep personal communion with God. But he was exiled. He'd been taken away. And the Bible tells us in verses 2 and 3 that his staple diet was tears. Anybody ever gone through an experience where you seem to be crying a lot? His staple diet says, night and day, I'm weeping, crying. And he was ridiculed because on two occasions in verses 3 and 10, people said, "Huh, So where is your God then? I want to say, friends, it's one of the most difficult attacks that we can navigate through. Some of you have had to navigate sickness. And there have been other people come up to you and say, Huh? So, where is your God? They pray for the sick at that church, don't they? Some of you have had to go through the pain of broken relationships. Maybe a career or a business not working out as you intended. And I tell you, friends, they're very, very quick to emerge. People that point the finger and say, Where is your God? This is the experience of the sons of Korah, either personally on behalf of their friends. What was the answer? What was the answer? Well, despair, friends, and being downcast actually is a toxic to our spirituality. It's a poison. And if anybody here has ever been poisoned, you'll know that if you rush to the doctors or rush to the hospital, they will give you an antidote, something that will combat the poison. And in this psalm we've got an antidote to being downcast h-o-p-e put your hope in god hope is something that's misunderstood some people think that hope is that person that's always got the sunny optimism you know let me let me try and illustrate sunny optimism i'm driving in the car it's chucking it down with rain and in my on my radio I've got that thing where it brings the local, you know, traffic thing. Do these these people must have a, a pill in the morning to get to work, because it's chucking it down with rain. You go to work. We're now going to Sarah. Hi everybody! There's a traffic jam on the eight thirty-eight, it's seventeen miles long. But she's one of those people that's just got this sunny optimism, whatever's you know. And the rage, <sighs> all the flesh sort of rises up in you, because I, I don't feel like that this morning. <laughs> That's not hope. Some people think that hope is fortune to whim or superstition. They hope they'll win the lottery. They'll hope that something will come up for them. They hope that they'll get, uh, left some money in a will or whatever. And so they just live by superstition or whim, For some, it's that lucky break in a particular area of their life. But here's how Vine's Bible Dictionary defines hope. Hope is the confident expectation regarding the unseen and the future. And so going back to our praise and worship this morning, whatever our current circumstance, and however difficult it may be, we can find the antidote this morning by putting our hope in God, who says, whatever your circumstance and however grim the future looks, you can put your hope in God and that will make all of the difference. I said this morning that, I, 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 that people will be speaking out of experience and I was reading a little book this week that talked about being vulnerable. And, uh, and uh, I, I, when we talked on 2 Corinthians on, on the Bible school night the other week, it's very, very different to 1 Corinthians. And I, I suppose in modern language, it's the book where the Apostle Paul is vulnerable. He unpacks his heart, he shares the depth and challenge of the ministry. You can't fake vulnerability, and it's something that t- increases in life as you go on the ministry journey. But somebody defined vulnerability as sometimes being open about things that have been hidden. And this psalm has been an amazing psalm to me over the last two years. I'm going to share it very briefly this morning, but. Many of you will know that for numbers of years now on my journey with working with Christian and the team here at Arena, I've also carried a denominational responsibility in Assemblies of God, working with John Partington and being part of the national leadership team. And It's been a great privilege. I've never asked to do anything in that area. It's always sort of been asked of. And I did that season and I'm doing that season knowing that it was a prophetic call from God. I said that very carefully, but God deeply spoke to me about being a voice in our denomination but with the privilege comes the price and uh, very nearly two years ago we, we made a decision I'm not going to go to it and so when I'm turning up at church when I'm on secondment in Manchester again up at six o'clock every Sunday morning to go and do a church up there when I'm getting up and ministering and blessing to people there's been many many times when I've been downcast downcast about what people have said downcast about what people have done downcast about attitudes downcast about people that are my contemporaries and colleagues many many times and what's been the antidote I can always hope in God and I'm pleased to say that that situation is probably better now than it's been for two years we've got some renewed traction we're going to seek to finish well as an area leadership team and then probably by the end of beginning next year it's going to be somebody else's go to lead in that particular area but I want you to say this morning that and it's not being fake you don't need me coming up here every Sunday morning saying you I'm downcast this morning I'm fed up you know? and that is not being fake friends that's being a leader but the reality is at times that if you came into Christian's life and my life, and leaders' lives at times, if you came into what we had to wrestle with sometimes at eldership, you sometimes realise that we deal with angst just because we're church leaders. Yeah. We deal with despair. Yeah. We deal with things that come against us. Yeah. We don't live there. We don't communicate that. The passion of this morning is that we would communicate hope. Yeah, true. <clears throat> um... Somebody said, a social commentator that this generation is a generation of no hope. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I think many of this generation are buying it. And we really, really need to encourage this generation to realize that when they hope in God, everything's possible. Before I close, let me just give you four bullet points about what hope is. Number one, hope is foundational. The Bible says faith is being sure of what we it's foundational, it's closely related to faith and it goes deep into our lives, it's a block on which we can always build and never crumbles, it takes us from beginning to end. Number two, hope is internal because the Bible says always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you, it's internal. You see this morning you may be saying well if you'll show me hope I'll believe it and I cannot produce hope like I could produce a meal on a plate. Well, it'd have to be beans on toast, but anyway. But, but I can't produce hope as if you could dress up in the latest fashion gear. But when it's in you, it comes out of you. It's the inevitability of hope. It goes with you. It's 24-7. It takes you through every experience. You see, it's not external, passing, transient. It's internal. It lasts forever. And those of you that are passionate about sharing your faith, here's one of the ways that you need to do it. If you will live out hope, you will be a precursor to talking about hope. Because when you carry hope in a world of despair, it's inevitable that people are going to come and say, what have you got? Now, they're not going to do it with a gang of mates. When they're all, you know, you've gone to one of them social nights, they're all leery and, you're a Christian, aren't you? It's not going to happen then. (laughs) But it's going to happen when the guy says, can I have a quiet word with you? Because my wife just walked in and said she wants to divorce me. That's when it's going to come. Or can you pray for my kids because they're on drugs? And I don't know what to do. They're going to do it on their own. But when you carry hope, you'll be a magnet for people that live in despair. Number three, hope is in, uh, intentional. It says in the Bible that against all hope, Abraham believed. I don't have time to contextualize this, that, that this morning. But simply to say, friends, that we are sons of Abraham because he was a man of faith and so are we. And the eye-watering, mind-boggling, doubt-defeating promise that God gave to Abraham in this context where they seemed no hope against all hope he believed and God did it. Jeremiah says, I am the Lord. Is there anything too hard for me? We've got people in this room this morning that are in impossible situations. Family situations that were impossible and God's turned it around. God's made a difference. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. He's the sovereign God that rules and reigns. And if you will intentionally hope in him, he'll bring you through. Number four, hope is eternal. The Bible says that if we've only hoped for this life, we're to be pitied. We're to be pitied. Only hope for this life. Life's a wind, life's a vapour, life's a mist. It it comes pretty quick and it goes pretty quick. And God is shaping you for eternity. He's getting you ready to meet your maker. He's preparing you for works of service in the eternal kingdom. And sometimes he'll take you through circumstances that you don't fully understand to make you better than what you were. You need to trust him. You need to see with the eye of eternity. Somebody says eternity is the great comfort for our mortality, the great leveler for our humanity, and the great motivation for our ministry. And it is. And in a Western materialistic world, it's very, very difficult for Christians to live in the light of eternity. But I'm encouraging you to do so. There's a bigger picture. There's a bigger picture. And one day, it's all going to make sense. So we close. Earlier this year... The global church bade farewell from this earth to, without dispute, the greatest evangelist of the last century, the 20th century. His name was Dr. Billy Graham. And uh, Billy Graham was a far better team player than people realise and a far better leader than people realise. Saw over 2.2 million people make a decision to follow Jesus Christ simply through his ministry. Quite a remarkable reach of ministry, even before some of the modern communication that we use. And in the book, Leadership Secrets, one of his friends says, Dr. Billy Graham has always been known and wants to be known as a communicator of hope. So, well, I'm not a preacher, Phil. I don't want to be a preacher. I couldn't be a preacher. It's not my gift, but I tell you what, you can be a communicator of hope. You really, really can. Someone says, dare we hope, we dare. Can we hope, we can should we hope, we must. To do any other would be to waste one of the most precious gifts God has freely given to us. I love songs. I I, I still find myself sometimes quoting old hymns. People say, oh, you don't like hymns, do you? I love them. But the thing is, we're we're not going to sing, you know, years I spent in vanity and pride anymore. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. We're in a different day. Three three two in Redemption hymnal. There you go. Six one nine. Oh happy day that fix my choice on Thee. my say you, say, you know. But here's a modern. Here's a modern hymn that we've sang at church. I close with this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Christ alone cornerstone weak made strong in the saviour's love through the storm he is lord of all psalm 42 why you downcast O my soul put your hope in god if you do it will work and you'll always prevail let's pray